This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast. We are the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. The Premier League campaign for 2021 has now finally kicked off and we're looking forward to accompanying you through another, no doubt, rollercoaster year as Saints fans. In this pod, we'll be reflecting on that first game at Crystal Palace and the frustrating 1-0 defeat. Alongside that, we'll also preview the initial home game of the season in the league, that is, versus Spurs. We'll briefly touch on the Carabao Cup tie against Brentford this coming Tuesday. And maybe more excitingly, hear from Saints manager Ralph Hasenhutl. Yes, fresh from his pre-Palace press conference, Ralph spoke exclusively to TSP about 2021, his new deal, the importance of James Ward-Prowse, and about cows, the animal that is, not the Isle of Wight. Anyway, look out for that later on in the pod, and we're also going to have a brief chat to Dan about a potential Saints American takeover. As always, so I'm not venturing this emotional journey on my own, it's your TSP panel of Steve, Glenn and Dan joining me. Evening, chaps. Evening. 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 I'm not going to rattle through everyone's uh, weekends. I know, Glenn, yours has been quite traumatic, and uh, obviously uh, we've got quite a lot through to, to get through tonight, so uh, I think we'll just uh, get going. But uh, before we do get going in this episode, it's that time of the week where we shout out our TSP patrons. Thanks so much uh, to all of you for supporting us, which we're really grateful for. This is the third week of doing this. To get through one final batch, I'm going to do my part in it this week as well. So Steve, Glenn and myself will all run through 12 names, which will finish the uh, 18 that we've currently got as uh, active patrons so we're very grateful for that um steve bearing in mind you're the pronunciation pro as we determined last <laughs> week um why not crack on with your list first well i've been given a, a list of untricky list uh, <laughs> names this time which is quite handy so uh yeah so here we go uh, mark sperrin lisa luck jonathan cooper richie webb lee saunders jude hudang 
uh, Jeremy Hutchinson, Aaron Collum, Steve Allen, Keith Cox, Jim Harrison, and Dave Fox. Brilliant. All right, lovely. And Glenn, yours? Okay, mine are Trevor Taylor, Raul Chatterjee, James Taylor, Andy Bolchin, Mark Fletcher, Ash Cooper, Robbie Dale, Ian Hart, Paul Streeter, Crory Brenneman, James Bewley, Anthony Alsop. I'm feeling the pressure now following two professionals, but here we go. This is the final list uh, here. Andy Mintram, Shane DeZilwa, Bruce Borthwick, Richard Cookson, Steve Sneller, Mark, Dan Carosi, Ben Parfit, Caroline Emerson, Simon Hall, Dave Johnson and Glenn Brachet. As I said previously, a wonderful thank you from us to all of you for signing up to support us with continuing to produce TSP. It's very much appreciated. That's all 88 of you, as I mentioned, currently signed up, uh, who've been shouted out now. From here on, assuming anyone else does want to support us, we'll shout you out in the following episode to you becoming a patron via patreon.com slash Total Saints podcast. Okay, let's get going for this week. Partner with saintsworld.co.uk and underpinned by the aforementioned Total Saints podcast patrons. Not forgetting, of course, totalsaints.co.uk as well, where you can find a variety of things on our website at the moment. For example, our latest GDLC player ratings. This is TSP128. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints' first game of the season saw them travel to Selhurst Park to face the Eagles. Unfortunately for us, we were relatively easy prey, the final score being a disappointing 1-0 loss. Um, Glenn, all in all, after a few weeks with uh, much optimism building up to it nicely as a fan base, it was typical opening day from Saints, really. Three things that I wrote down here, death, taxes, and Saints failing to get much on an opening day. <laughs> yeah, it was it was rubbish, to be honest. It was very poor, very ponderous, first half especially, you know, when you expect everyone to come flying out of the traps with this newfound optimism and, and verve. It just didn't happen. Too slow to pass the ball. Having said that, first 10 minutes, we were actually not too bad. And then we gave away a horrific goal, and that that killed the rest of the first half. The rest of the first half it was just a non-event, did nothing really. Just allowed Palace to do what they wanted to do from the start, which is just sit back and uh, let us play in front of them. And that, you know, that's what happens. The, the first, the first rest of the first half after the goal was just a non-event really. Second half, we started off well, created, I think it was three chances throughout the second half, missed them all. We had the John Moss and his red card dance fiasco, um, which at the end of the day got the right decision. But, I never really felt that we were going to equalise. You know, we just allowed Palace, who are a very limited team, to play the game exactly how they wanted to play it. And and we, you know, we gave away a horrible goal and they didn't. And that's Mm. the reason they won. Yeah. Dan, obviously uh, Palace had quite a few players missing, as uh, was outlined before the game. Uh, It's now five seasons as well since we scored on opening day. That was uh, one-all versus Watford in uh, 13th of August 2016 when Nathan Redmond scored under uh, Claude Puel. So not great, but uh, what did you make of it all? I thought it was just a very tired-looking performance for a team that perhaps weren't quite at the races yet. Ralph was quick to point out before the game and after the game that you know his preparation time hasn't been ideal. He lost a host of players to the international break and then compared that to Palace just losing two although you could argue well that's the price you pay for being successful I'm sure you'd rather have players getting called up to the national teams because it's probably 
a sign that your team's doing quite well. And, you know, he kind of said, you know, I think it's going to take us a little while, not a little while to get going, but, you know, maybe two, three weeks to actually get going, get up to their best. But then that kind of also defeats the object of a fast start. Um, you know, you don't want to be hitting your best sort of three, three, four weeks time. You want to try and blow the cobwebs off in the first first game. And like Glenn said, they started quite brightly, didn't they? They, they looked quite good for 10 minutes. And then, but for Redmond having a shot, Shea Adams having a shot and Danny Ings coming close at the end, I mean, their goalkeeper wasn't exactly troubled and he wasn't really troubled with those saves either. No, no. And just briefly, how did you find it your first uh, stint with The Athletic, doing your various Q&As and your blogs and things like that? Yeah, no, it was um, it Busy. was good, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was different. It was, you know, normally you'd be doing the sort of match blog on the Echo site, the match report, and then putting it all online, etc. And the, the kind of rush element wasn't there. It was good to actually kind of watch the game and see that unfold. And I, I have to completely agree with what Glenn said uh, on Twitter earlier today, or maybe been yesterday, I'm not too sure when it was, about when you first saw the goal, it looked as though, God bloody hell, those fullbacks are high up. Look how much space there is. But then when you like rewatch it, you do realise, well, actually, no, they weren't that high up. They did have the ball in that half. Then they obviously pinged it back. Then Romeo lost the ball. So I saw there was obviously quite a few things on social media saying, oh, why are we playing such a high line? But, you know, Glenn, in a Gary Neville way, sort of analysed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. So, uh, um, yeah, Steve, I mean, obviously, just to sort of touch on the guy, I mean, it's early season. We don't need to get carried away here. It was a mistake and we all make mistakes. And, uh, you know, it probably, as Saints fans, I think, you know, it's nice to quickly get back into the swing of things, isn't it? Giving a sloppy goal away to, to uh, sort of lose the game. But, yeah, just frustrating to, you know, Romeo obviously losing it and then Zaha, of course, being unmarked. And it was just, yeah, scrappy one to kick off the season. Yeah, and I think... The, unfor- the unfortunate kind of conclusion that people are going to draw from this is that while we obviously improved a significant amount as the season wore on uh, last last time around, it does seem that the absolute basics of being able to beat poor teams, we've still not learnt it. We've yeah. still not we've still not found a way of cracking cracking that particular nut. And I mean, Palace, as you say, a, a very limited. You you knew before kickoff exactly what their game plan was going to be that they were going to sit in. They don't give a toss whether they've got the ball or not. Um, they're quite happy for us to have it because while we're playing um, sideways passes in front of them, we're not really hurting them. We're not getting in behind because they're de- they're going to defend very deep. And we didn't have the kind of sort of little spark of creativity that someone like Gineppo, for example, or or Buffal, who I mean, this baffles me that that we're seemingly willing to let him go on the relatively on the relative cheapness because we don't have many players like him. We don't have players who can keep the ball and operate in tight spaces. Redmond's probably the only one that we've got that can do it, but he's not a, he's still a very orthodox player. He doesn't have the, the sort of little tricks that someone like that both Gineppo and um, Buffal have in the, if they're in a hole, they can, they can work their way out of it. Redmond will keep the ball in that hole and he will then find, he he can then find a pass to a teammate, but he's not going to suddenly emerge from that hole with the ball in 10 yards of space. And that's, that's kind of where, where, where we were lacking yesterday. And, I mean, it's, it's, as I say, it's not, it's not a new development for us and, and we still don't seem to quite know how we're going to do that. 
No, I uh, I know I made uh, GDLC player ratings sound very professional. Obviously, that's Glenda Lacour ratings. <laughs> um, but yeah, Glenda Lacour gave Nathan Redmond a three, so plenty of work for Nathan Redmond to do. But oh. uh, um, but uh, look, Dan. I mean, we were both in the press conference before the Palace game, and Ralph was clearly very frustrated and unhappy about uh, the Stuart Armstrong situation returning from Scotland duty with a obviously a quad injury. We don't quite know yet how long he's going to be out for. But let's not start making excuses. But how much of a miss do you think he was? That his creativity. Yeah, ain't even just his energy. Uh, you know, he is just tireless in you know in that kind of attacking third and even def- in defence. He's just non-stop, will run for 90 minutes and he'll come off absolutely shattered. But in that, he also brings a, the creative element where he's got quite a good understanding with Danny Ings and obviously Nathan Redmond. I think, you know, going into the game, once it was kind of confirmed that he would miss it, the debate then said, well, do you go for Smallbone or Musa on the right? I mean, I think there was a case where perhaps Will Smallbone isn't really for the right-hand side, in my opinion. You know, he played there against Watford, but I know he played in the central midfield against West Ham and got bullied, but, you know, that was, that was I think that was only his second Premier League game or maybe his first Premier League game, I can't quite remember. If you're going to, the club view him as a central midfielder, so you almost think, well, just play him in central midfield and just play Genepo. You know, Genepo hasn't played in ages, so if anyone's going to be raring to go, it's going to be him. Because uh, he also had the longest suspension ever and obviously picked up an injury it's it's a weird one with it didn't really start off like that with Stuart Armstrong did it I mean but I mean it was sort of January time I think sort of Christmas January time everyone kind of noticed well bloody hell he does make a humongous difference to this team and again it was evident at Crystal Palace I thought yeah it was interesting actually one one thing I read on uh, some of the comments under your blog uh, today uh, that I hadn't really thought about actually was that obviously there's no longer a, a drinks break and that was one of the things that post lockdown Ralph obviously had a chance to get them together 25 minutes in and give them some good tactical advice whereas obviously you know this will be uh, the start of only being able to do it at half time at the end of uh, the game so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on but Glenn kind of I just wanted to pick up on one thing that after the the goal that Palace scored obviously for the rest of the match as Steve kind of alluded to they looked Palace more than comfortable going into that sort of compact and counter-attack and you, you know you try and break us down which we obviously couldn't do but other than the the half-time substitute which I think Dan and others had reported Ralph said was tactical um you know the first sub from Ralph was the 77th minute when Gineppo came on for small bones so bearing in mind we weren't creating lots um were you surprised that maybe Ralph left it that late to you know give uh, Gineppo the chance to come on and maybe try and make us a little bit more attacking on the face of it, yes, but it made me wonder if Gineppo was fit, bearing in mind he has been injured. I don't know if he's been at Staplewood the entire time or whether he's been back to Africa or whatever. Um, I don't I don't really know. It, yeah, on the face of it, it was a surprise. Nathan Teller was on the bench as well. He wasn't used. Um, Shane Long was used in the end, but it was a like-for-like substitution with five minutes to go. So that wasn't particularly going to change the game and he's not got the best goal scoring record as everybody knows when you need a goal with five minutes to go so uh, yeah I was surprised it took that long to make the change but I, I do wonder about the sort of paucity of options on the bench and as, as Steve mentioned earlier on Buffal is the sort of player that can make things happen but it, you know is he fit is he is he motivated you know I, I always remember him coming on as a sub in that game against Brighton earlier on last season and we, we've been rub, we've been rubbish and he, t- he totally changed the game just by having that little change of pace stop start gone pass it across goal easy he, he struggles when he plays for 90 minutes he always has done but in my opinion it, he 
would have been a very, very good option on the bench. But I just wonder if Gineppo was was fit for more than 10, 15 minutes anyway. Yeah, maybe that was the case. But uh, absolutely. Um, Steve, look, just wanted to briefly touch on VAR as well. Then obviously it was kind to Saints on a couple of occasions. You know, admittedly, the second one, Zaha was offside, so it's not really kind. It's doing its job. But just wanted to pick up on the, the red card for KWP. I mean, obviously, I think we all realise that players scream a lot these days in empty stadiums. That doesn't really help referees when they're trying to make decisions anyway. Um, initially... John Moss sent off Carl Walker-Peters. That was obviously then rescinded after he'd used the monitor in line with the new sort of protocols. So it seemed though, you know, we got to the right decision in the end again. We'll obviously have to see, as we always know in football, there's all these rules about you can't swear at the rest and it lasts for about three weeks and then they just give up on those sort of things. So hopefully they will keep using the monitors and it was a prime example of using it to make the right decision. It wasn't, it was, it was odd because, I mean, looking at the, look at, when you saw the challenge in real time, you could kind of you could kind of see why the referee had given it originally, but obviously he's he's gone over to the monitor. And I mean, to be fair, I, I, let's let's be fair to John Moss. He's he sort of looked looked at it on the video and he's held his hands up and said, "Yep, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. I've I've missed I've misjudged that on the initial reaction. Looking at the replay, clearly the the contact isn't as bad or as high as I first thought it was. So I'm going to downgrade the decision. And that's that's basically how it should work." And it's ridiculous that it's taken us a year to get to this point, but it's basically come come to this because FIFA took um, took over control of, of VAR. They've they've stopped the leagues implementing it how they how they see fit, and everybody now has to use it in the same way. So now we're doing it the same way as everybody else does it, and oh look, it work it works, and you're you're getting proper accountability and proper decision making. Who knew? <laughs> no, I'll, totally. t- I'll tell you one more Ra- thing on the VAR. Rather than let Mike Royley... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah make up his own rules. Yeah, exactly. Now, one more thing on the VAR that I thought was interesting is that on the BT Sport commentary, they immediately went to Dermot Gallagher. <laughs> I had to laugh at this. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> former referee, studio expert. Yeah. And he... And whilst Moss was having, it, Moss just wanted to rest, by the way. He wanted to go and watch telly for a couple of minutes. But while Moss was looking at the monitor, and he went to Dermot Gallagher, you know, what do you make of red. that? Definitely. Anyway, oh, definitely definite red. red. <laughs> yeah, well, so he was basically illustrating at a stroke everything that was wrong with VAR last year, in that as the second referee, he was just like, well, I'm back in the referee. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it was, it yeah. was horrendous. And then they. They obviously gave him a couple of minutes and then went back to him afterwards. And he, he you know, when the game had restarted and he, he found a way to kind of weasel out of it. Uh, but, I, I mean, it was pathetic. I know. To be fair, Peter Walton always does that as well. A definite penalty. Well, actually, you know, if you look at it from this angle, Jake, you know, it's not actually a penalty, you know, on second thoughts and all that sort of things. Yeah, because everyone else has said it's not a penalty. But uh, there we go. But yeah, I mean, I, I just just to sort of finish that, Glenn. I mean, you know, again, we want to see the right decisions made. And we can understand, as, as Steve said, John Moss would have had his, would have been kind of behind the Palace players so you would have seen Walker Peters come in quite high and probably thought it was a red card. So again, you know, as long as we're getting the right decisions, whether it's four Saints against Saints across the leagues and we get some consistency, that's what we want, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all anyone wanted when VAR came in. You know, you 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 want the correct decisions, uh, and yeah, it was a it was you know it was a good start with that. Um, I, I don't really know if there's been any other sort of issues across the games this weekend where the the monitor's been looked at, but certainly if it carries on being used like it was in the in the Palace game, then uh, I don't think many people are going to have uh, going to have any complaints. Unless you, unless Man United get 22 penalties in the season <laughs> again. 
Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't be well, Liverpool, I mean, I mean, well yeah. Liverpool have obviously started uh, started prolifically on that front, haven't they? But, <laughs> yeah, but, but surprisingly, yeah. they were both penalties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes a change, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, perfect. All right, well, look, I mean, we could go into, you know, another 20 minutes of Palace game. I don't think we really need to dwell on the defeat. But, Dan, what I would say is that, you know, obviously, in summary, far from a disaster, as I tweeted earlier, we started the weekend in 16th. We're currently in 16th. No dramas. And, uh, obviously, as Ralph kind of said to you and, and uh, the guys afterwards, you know, plenty for him to, to work on this week, both with the Brentford game and then also in training. So let's not worry about it. There's plenty of 37 games to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a good thing for Saints this season, which I think we sort of touched on in a previous podcast, was that their start to the season isn't that bad. It's not that tough. It's not like they're now going into games against, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City. There's games that they've got ahead of them they can still win. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's just a tired performance or blow the cobwebs off and give them two weeks and I think they'll be up and running again. Well, I mean, look, looking at the way Spurs played this afternoon, they are there for the taking. They were <laughs> dreadful. Yeah. Well, I was going to learn my lesson from last week, Steve, where we said Roy Hodgson was 73 years and too old, and then we wrote Zaha off, and it didn't really back, it backfire. So I think we should just big up Spurs later, but we'll come to that in a bit. This is the Total Saints Podcast. Proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Dan, just before we move on to preview Spurs and touch on the Brentford game, there have been some rumours around this week of a potential takeover at Saints led by American Joseph de Grasso, um, who was formerly owner at Bordeaux in France, albeit some of his credentials not looking uh, overly attractive when you maybe read into it a little bit more detail. The story originated in the Daily Mail, and while I know you've been looking into it and Adam Blackmore, I think, had commented on it and things like that. You know, I guess I was just interested to get your own personal view on whether this uh, moment of uh, potential exclusivity period with uh, De Grasso and Mr. Gow was, uh, you know, happening or not. So I guess I was just going to ask in your view, in the current present state recording on this Sunday evening, whether you think there's any truth to those reports or not? Well, I think when something like this sort of the story broke on Thursday, the first thing you do is, well, who is this guy? You obviously start making calls and trying to figure out what's going on. You know, he's made, you know, one sort of Google search of him and then a, ho- a whole host of interviews come up from the last sort of two or three months where he's made it clear he wants to own a Premier League club as like an anchor and then go off on and then have different clubs around the world. Essentially what Man City, the City group have done, um, but po- probably on a smaller scale. The idea is that the Premier League club will also have a good academy. Now, everyone knows, you know, Southampton... If you've got the money to buy Southampton, you can buy Southampton. Gao does want to sell the club. So you, you read that and then you think, well, right, this probably has got some, maybe some legs in it. And then you do some more digging. This guy was obviously interested in Newcastle with his private equity firm. I can't think what they're called, GACP. Something like I think that, that sounds like yeah. General American Capital Partners, I think, from memory. You know, and speaking to people in Newcastle, it, you know, his relationship with Mike Ashley was fairly amicable. But at the end of the day, yeah, when it came down to it, he could not afford Newcastle. He couldn't raise the money. And from people you're speaking to now, people I'm speaking to now, it's the same kind of situation. It's a case of, I think, there's a feeling that Saints are perhaps going to cost too much for him. So, you know, I'm not knocking uh, the Daily Mail story. I'm sure, you know, they've obviously gone strong on it. But again, and people I've spoken to, they have said that they could have written that story and named four Premier League teams if they wanted to but obviously they just chose Southampton they could have said the same for Burnley or Crystal Palace and just put their name in there but obviously Southampton's name was in there because everyone knows that you know Gal essentially wants to sell his his stake in the club obviously Talk Sport 
have uh, obviously gone with the line saying that you know there's another party interested. Well, we know where they've got that from. <laughs> but there's a they've gone along with saying there's another party interested, which would indicate that perhaps obviously uh, Joseph de Groza is in you know in a period of exclusivity with the Saints, whether he is or not, still not too sure. But I think there definitely has been an interest from him in Saints, obviously through Gao's guys. At this stage, I I wouldn't say that's a deal that's going to go through. The people I've spoken to, it doesn't sound too positive. And these aren't people inside the club. These are people outside of the club who know this guy, know his sort of background, know his finances. So I, I perhaps don't think this will go through. I may be proved wrong. Do I think Southampton will be sold? Yes, I do. When that is, probably within the next year, I think they'll be, you know, I think they'll be under new owners. Will it be this guy? I don't think so. Yeah, fair enough. No, thanks. Appreciate your uh, honesty, Dan. I've literally just worked out while you were talking there. If we can get 1.7 million patrons paying £10 a month for a year, we'll have £204 million so we could potentially buy the club. So if you're out there and you're interested, you know, we only need 1.65 million more of you or something like that. So uh, we'll see what happens. But no, I appreciate it, Dan. I think, you know, obviously, as Martin Simmons said to us last week, you know, we don't quite know what's going to happen with Mr. Gow. So I think Saints fans probably uh, watch this space. listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Now, earlier this week, ahead of the new 2020-21 season kicking off, TSP were kindly given a short window to chat exclusively with Saints manager Ralph Hasenhutl. Subjects covered Ralph's new deal, James Ward-Prowse, pre-season or not pre-season, and the manager's own excitement about the campaign ahead. Here's what Ralph had to say. When we spoke previously, Ralph, you said one of the good things about working in the Premier League was that you'd obviously get to learn and develop a lot. Last season was obviously a roller coaster for all of us. Um, we obviously ended it very, very well. But I just wonder what you learned from last season about yourself and how you'll look to develop that this season. Yeah, definitely learned a lot uh, about myself and about my team and about the club. And we can say that we went through a very, very difficult uh, term. But uh, in the end, um, that helps us to find together and to be very, a very connected uh, club, to be honest. Uh, and uh, in, in the end, I think this was the the hard way to go but we went this way and i think it's it was good that we did it in, in this in this uh, manner and finally uh, in the end of the season you see what you get for for all the work you put in for a season and, and the 11th place in the in the table was absolutely fantastic for everybody especially after the lockdown we showed that we can play some really good football against strong teams and uh, we must uh, keep on doing this in the next season Look, most football fans at this time of the year, Ralph, they're full of excitement and optimism about what their team can achieve in 2020-21. I worked out the other day that this is your 14th season in management now. Um, I wondered if you sort of get that excitement and optimism ahead of a new campaign or, you know, now that you've got so much experience under your belt, whether you have to temper that with knowing that there's going to be ups and downs and lots of hard work. Yeah, it's strange. Uh, thanks for your steps. Uh, it just doesn't feel like a normal start. I don't know why, because maybe we have such a long break, so it feels a little bit different. But you're right, uh, especially in the beginning, the pressure is a higher one because uh, you start with zero points and zero wins. So um, everything you get as quick as possible helps you to be a little bit more uh, relaxed and to get uh, to get a good start. It can definitely have a big influence in any in any in every season. Eh? So. Uh, yeah, hopefully we can manage this and hopefully we have a better one than last season. But uh, as always, you must uh, 
go in every game with all the self-confidence you can work on uh, and try to make uh, the best start as possible. Um, look, historically, Saints have always been, for some reason, a club that starts seasons very slowly. Um, we obviously did it last season, as you know. Given the early fixtures, Ralph, and the, the buzz that there seems to be around the club, you know, all the hard work that you've done to get this club back, how important do you think it is to really make a positive start in those sort of first five to ten games? That's the reason why I didn't speak so much about starting something. Eh? So I tried to continue only our work. Eh? That's the reason why, why I definitely didn't hang this topic too high for my players. They should have the feeling that it's only a short break and we want to continue what we did at the end of last season. And if you start like this, we have nearly the same team on the start. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able, if we put all our habits and all our automatists on the pitch, this is necessary, absolutely. And there's no reason why we shouldn't have another successful time immediately. Performances during Project Restart were excellent largely. Knowing that you and the club are always constantly looking to improve, how much more do you feel you can get out of this current squad of players? And do you feel we have the squad to sustain it over the season? Uh, I think we have a not too big squad in the moment. Uh, it's quite likely that we, we have the lack on some positions uh, when, when there are some injuries. Hopefully we haven't. We know that we need to do something still on the transfer market. Uh, not to, to block the young players, uh, yeah. give them a chance to play. I think we have some good young players and we want to push them and you want to, to force them to play. But um, I think especially when you have long-term problems with some injuries, then we need to have a bigger squad. And this is what, what everybody knows here. Uh, we lost Pierre Lemin-Holbeck as a six. We haven't replaced him so far. So we definitely uh, need a re- replacement of this position. And... Yeah, in the end, I think uh, we have a, a good balanced squad and um, every position um, is double or nearly double. Uh, we have on every position two players nearly. And then, yeah, we can look positively in, in this in this season and um, hopefully can also develop our game. As I said, we don't know uh, what are our limits in the moment. Uh, we, we made some fantastic games after lockdown, beat Man City at home with a little bit of luck, uh, played fantastic against Man United. So yeah. players really believe in what they are doing in the moment um, and know that uh, we have to run more, to fight more, to sprint more as these teams do because they have better maybe individual quality, but we have to be the better team. And if we can manage this, then we have always a chance to win. Like many clubs, um, Ralph, obviously it's not been a, a typical preseason this time around. Um, you know, we've not seen any videos of you at the top of a mountain trying to move a cow so the team can have a team photo, that sort of thing. But uh, what I was going to say was, obviously you spoke about it in the press conference. I know you've spoken about it a lot, about sort of getting back into just giving the players a couple of weeks off and then coming back and almost carrying on that training rather than going into a, a proper pre-season. So bearing in mind the success we had post-lockdown, um, do you think that that's going to work as an advantage to you over sort of travelling around the world and playing games and things like that? As I said, we, we cannot compare it completely with uh, the pre-season after lockdown because they came back with a different fitness level like they did now. Uh, and then uh, we had always all, all the t- players together to work with them very concentrated. And this is something you don't have very often. All the internationals are coming at the same time. You can start with the whole team. And this is then the reason why it maybe was flowing immediately. That's good. I definitely don't miss uh, the cows uh, or the, the mountains. So it was nice that we, we had here fantastic time, beautiful weather in the moment here on the south coast. So we really enjoy working here on our fantastic training ground. And the rest, I think, is, is only waiting for the, for the first moment to, to show up. And, and, and this moment will come on Saturday. 
Last uh, season we have won there 2-0 and we played one of our best away games. We know yeah. that we are away. We have been a very good team there. So we're now jumping the new in the new kids and 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 uh, show that we didn't uh, lose the strength. Brilliant. Um, last couple of questions, uh, Ralph. Um, I know you don't like to single out players necessarily, but I just wanted to have a a quick conversation about James Ward-Prowse. Um, a couple of years ago, when you joined the club from Leipzig, we did a bit of a preview on our pod about you, and we spoke to one of our patrons now, James Parsons, who lives in Leipzig and watched a lot of you at RB, and he predicted that James Ward-Prowse would become a very crucial player under your management. Obviously, he's captain now. He, he played 98.7% of your entire season last year. He ran more than anyone else in Europe's top five leagues, and he's been recalled to the England squad. How vital is he to your team now? Yeah, this is right. I can agree that we had him always on our list. I knew him also before. And even then, when I was coming here, in the beginning, he had a difficult start. He was not the player I expected that he is, especially against the ball. He didn't show me this behavior as what I really want to have, but he adapted very quickly his game. And I think this is biggest strength is that um, if you tell him something, he immediately tries to, to bring it on the pitch. And when you are that self-critical, open-minded and willingness to learn, then I don't see any limits for him because, as you said, he's absolutely robust. He can cover massive distance. He, he has uh, against the ball, is one of the promised players for me in, in, the, in the Premier League, definitely. He's everywhere on the pitch. And uh, yeah, with the ball, I think there's still room to improve and we work on this and uh, he knows this. And even there, when you tell him something, you can see immediately in the next game that he tries to bring it on the pitch. And, and so um, a, a sort of a professional player, every manager likes to have in this team, absolutely. Just finally, we were all delighted that you signed a four-year contract uh, during the summer. Uh, in your view, where do you see the club being at the end of this four years? And what would you like the club to be able to achieve in those four years? Well, it's such a long, long time. I know it's, um, it's, it's very difficult for me to think about what is happening in four years. And, you know, football, sometimes it's important to look at the next month and the next month and the next month. I'm more concentrating on making this small or this early steps uh, than the final picture. To be honest, I don't have it in my mind. It can be everything. It can be uh, that we are famous for our developing of the young players or still, although we sell every year, some players still be in a in an always very comfortable position in the, in the league table. So everything can happen. Uh, and I don't see us in a moment as a, as a permanent Champions League uh, uh, squad. No. Because uh, there are some clubs around here in the Premier League They have much more uh, options like we have, especially in the financial part. Yeah? But this is not something that, that scares me because I, I, I like to, to compete with them. I like to test ourselves uh, how good we are against these top teams in the league. And I really like when they are investing money to bring the best players in the world here to the Premier League because we can benefit from, from these clubs because we have to face them, to compete against them. And this is what makes my job so, so fantastic and so interesting. And, and um, that makes the Premier League interesting if we bring the best players in the world here in the Premier League. And especially Chelsea did some fantastic transfers. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. we have so many good teams around here. Man United uh, uh, is coming back to, to, to strength and, and Man City, Liverpool. So it's, it's a fantastic uh, experience to, to play against such teams. And if you make it well and take points then it's even I cannot imagine something better so I don't know where we are in four years hopefully um, develop every part of this club healthy well-grown settled um, club that always is Southampton is proud of 
Brilliant. Well, it's been great to speak to you, Ralph, and obviously we wish you and the, the team all the very best for uh, the season ahead. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. This is the Total Saints Podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. A big thank you again to Ralph for his time this week. Finishing up on TSP 128, a look ahead to the week in front of us. First up, Steve, the Carabao Cup game against Brentford. A, a tough-looking game, albeit I know they lost 1-0 at the weekend as well, but we know from last season that Brentford are a, a decent side. Yeah, I mean, they've they've kind of kept hold of the vast majority of their team, apart from the two sort of big-name kind of players, I guess. Ollie Watkins has obviously gone to Villa for, frankly, insane £28 million. Pounds. <laughs> yeah. um, and, I mean, fair play to Brentford for squeezing that money out of them. And I think Exeter will get about £6 million of that, Something I believe. Like that, yeah, which is great. Um, which is, yeah, one hell of a windfall. And it looks like Saeed Benrahma might be going to Palace. To replace Saha, maybe, yeah. Well, possibly. I mean, if, if someone if someone's willing to stump up big money for a 29-year-old, it's it's... The, the Zaha situation hasn't really changed in the last two years. No, no, nobody seems to be willing to pay what, what Palace deemed to be appropriate. And if, as long as that's the case, he'll, he'll stay at Celeste for, for better or worse. But Brentford, they, they properly stumbled over the line at the end of last season, just at the point where they'd got themselves into the position of being favourites. Basically, they had, they, they effectively had three cup finals at the end of last season and they bottled them all. Um, yeah. So they lost. They lost away at Stoke when West Brom dropped points. They then lost at home to Barnsley on the final day in injury time, and then of course they lost the playoff final in extra time to Fulham. And you would think that that kind of, and given that that wasn't that long ago with the shortened pre-season, you would think that kind of mentally they may not be necessarily be in the in the right place at the start of the season. So I think it's one of those games where you've kind of just got to just got to take the game to them and not. Not worry about what what they can do to us because at the end of the day they're still a champ they're still a championship side they're a very good team but they're they're possibly going to be going through some sort of transition in the attacking third of the pitch at least so I th- I think I mean I would, I would imagine Ralph will make a, a couple of changes but I don't think there'll be too many because I think he'll be, he'll be wanting to get Matt Sharpness in into the legs of the our key players yeah, as yeah. as opposed to tr- uh, treating this game as as a reserve team game to um, give other people a run out. Mm. Everybody needs a run out at the moment. We haven't played enough football. Yeah, yeah. And so I, th- I, I would be surprised if there's more than maybe two or three changes from uh, from Saturday's lineup. Yeah, and to be fair to him, he obviously played strong side. Uh, you know, right from that Fulham game last season, didn't he? Uh, when uh, I think Nathan Redmond got injured, didn't he? But uh, yeah, Glenn, as uh, Steve sort of mentioned there, I think Ralph's pretty much admitted that uh, he'll be looking to keep it fairly. Similar to the the Palace lineup and give uh, some uh, game time to the guys and and you know relatively strong side not least for match fitness but also I suppose you know ahead of Spurs and getting back to used to playing at St Mary's and things like that so I guess I was going to ask you you know it probably makes sense I think we all want a, a you know another good cut run this year don't we Yeah and Martin Simmons has also highlighted that you know we want to do well in the cup competitions so I agree with Steve I can't see us resting too many you might see the likes of Obafemi or Vestergaard start a game, but I don't think there'll be a load of kids playing. Forster, um, maybe. Or, yeah, Forster, maybe. But, but with um, with Brentford, they, regardless of the fact they've lost a couple of players and they had a near miss last year, they'll still see themselves as prioritising promotion this year, you know, because they'll 
they'll presumably spend some of the money if they haven't already for what they got for Watkins. So I would imagine they are much more likely to rotate players than we are. So it, it should be a game that that we can approach in a in a positive way. Um, it's not as if we were uh, were brilliant against Crystal Palace. So Ralph can feel that you know we can leave a load of players out and just concentrate on the concentrate on Saturday. So it's it's not going to happen. We're going to have a more or less full strength side out, and uh, hopefully it should be a relatively comfortable evening. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, Dan, just briefly, we're not going to do predictions on this. We'll do them on the uh, the Spurs game. But uh, in your view, Saints to get through that safely or or not? Yeah, I I think they should do. Like <laughs> Steve said, you know, they. It's not very convincing, at, Dan. At the, end of, at the end of the day, Brentford are a Championship side, aren't they? Yeah. So you know, you'd like to think Southampton's quality will pay off within you know in, in a 90-minute period. Like the guys have said, I wouldn't expect too many changes. I don't really think they can afford to make that many changes because like I say they do need to get some minutes under their belt and this is a good chance to do that you know if they put in a good performance hit a couple of goals past them keep a clean sheet and then you know all of a sudden the mindset changes going back to the Premier League at the weekend mm, yeah exactly and just moving on to that that game then down to have a, a chat about that uh, obviously it's Spurs next weekend as you mentioned uh, the irony of course that Pierre's first uh, away game is uh, returning to St Mary's um, obviously as Steve said you know fantastic midfielder one of the best in the world brilliant game today etc etc and then they've you know made a couple of decent signings as well the likes of Matt Doherty looks really good value although there's some weird George Mendes loop thing there isn't there but uh, you know from your point of view obviously it will be a, a tough game and uh, you know they are a, a quality side I know they've lost to Today, but you know we've done well against them the last couple of seasons but they're still a tough nut to crack on their day yeah I mean you know they've still got you know Harry Kane uh Deli Ali trying to think of who else they got that's pretty good I mean, they got some like Son you yeah. know they've got some good players um especially going forward so yeah I mean I wouldn't you know they were pretty poor today but you know, you're there you'd like to think they're only going to get better I mean I'm sure I don't know if everyone's been watching it but the all or nothing thing on mm. Amazon mm. has been really interesting yeah um I mean, it's just, well, it's the Jose Mourinho show, really. Weird how little Pochettino's featured in that. Yeah. It did start yeah. at the start yeah. of last season. Well, he, yeah. he didn't really want it, though, did he? I don't think. I wouldn't have thought so. He yeah. didn't want any of that just kind of distraction or anything. It was just. But you would have, you would have you thought know, he wanted to... wouldn't want that either. Because oh, he loved it, though, didn't he? But it's, all it's going to do is show him up for, the, for how out of touch he seems to be uh, with the, the, the modern game now. Yeah. Like, now, quickly, that's, that's come around, by the way. Yeah, yes. exactly. But yeah, just um, yeah, just briefly on that, Dan. I mean, yeah, I, I was sort of working my way through it. We've just uh, I've just finished the episode where they lose down at St Mary's and Harry Kane gets injured, which obviously was enjoyable. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So yeah, so I got the FA Cup replay to come and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, I I I, I got to say I spent the summer watching Sunderland till I die, and then we watched one on Netflix about them in my innings. I love those sort of. Uh, documentaries behind the scenes because it does give you a bit of a different flavour on things doesn't it and as you say I know it's a bit the Mourinho show but they're quite interesting yeah oh no yeah definitely I mean I think you know the ones I enjoy the most are the NFL ones I think they're really good um I think the Sunderland one has been better than the Man City and Tottenham one yeah because it's a bit just more a, real yeah I mean the Tottenham one and Man City ones they're so polished and you know look how you know we're going to finish sixth and what a great achievement it's going to be but I mean no I mean I think Joe's Mourinho at Tottenham is just a it was weird a weird appointment at the time it still looks weird now it's just a, a weird situation they've got there you know to go from Pochettino to him it was just bizarre you know they got a lot of players who are kind of agitating over their futures and you think well are they going to stay are they going to not stay you know Jose is there to win a trophy and get them back into the top four but realistically is he going to be able to do that probably not however that being said on their day they said a very good team 
They've got good players who can make a difference. But yeah, I mean, Saints have got more than enough chance to, to beat them, I'd say. Yeah, and Steve, I mean, let's be positive. The last two seasons at St Mary's, we've beaten them 2-1 and then 1-0 last year. So uh, can we do it again? Yeah, I mean, but bearing in mind how bad our home record's been, we've managed to beat Spurs twice. It's it's not bad. Yeah, we we can certainly do it again, but we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do a lot better than we did yesterday. I think theoretically Spurs will give us a little bit more space to play in. There'll be a little bit more room in behind because they'll they'll push up a lot higher, and they will they will they will have the belief that they can win the game as well. So they'll be they'll be more a lot more attack minded than Palace were certainly, but. I mean, as Dan said, they've got quality players, particularly in particularly in attacking areas. We've got to keep those quiet, and our defence is still a concern. Mm, totally, um, totally. And, and Glenn, it's a silly question, but obviously, you know, our, our sort of season last year, it's been well publicised that our home form was 19th worst in the Premier League, beaten only, if uh, you can call it, beaten by Norwich City. Um, you know, how vital is it for Saints to improve on that? And significantly as well. I mean, we're not talking about just trying to be 18th best, are we? You know, they need to get up to being sort of 10th, 11th best home record, particularly. It's hard to imagine the away form is going to be as good as it was last year, as kind of shown yesterday. So vital that they really get a lot better at St Mary's. Yeah, it is. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there about the away form. When you have a success like we did in the away games last year, teams are going to look at you and try and work out what you did, and they're going to plan against it. And I think, to a degree, to give him credit, that's what Hodgson did yesterday. Playing Zaha up front rather than on the wing certainly gave us something else to think about, and that's why they got their goal. If Zaha had been in mid, had been in on the left wing as usual, he wouldn't have been there to score that goal, probably. And the, the cross sort of just floated over. So we're not going to get as many points away from home as we did last year. So the, the major problem we had, as you, as you said, was was the home form. And... We have to sort it out, but it's not the home form against the teams like Spurs and the other big boys that's the problem. I mean, if, if you if you do lose all six of those, that's not the problem. That's kind of expected. The problem is is when you play the teams that just want to sit on their own penalty area and um, and defend and smash the ball long or just play us on the break. You know, we have to get a bit better at beating those teams. I still am. Um, because of the amount of money these teams can throw around, I'm still firmly of the belief that if you get points at home against the likes of Tottenham, then, it, then it's a bonus. Uh, they've got some very good players, as everyone said. Uh, I, I do look at Harry Kane and, and, and wonder exactly at the moment, especially having watched him in those two England games. Yeah, where don't, I, know, I know what oh, you're going to say, Glenn. Don't say yeah. it. It's, a real, it's going to be oh, a curse. We know that. Yeah, are banging possibly. a hat-trick or something when he's there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Son Heung-min and Deli Ali always seem to play well against us. So you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of work there to keep those, uh, keep those guys quiet. Hopefully Tottenham's midfield will look as disjointed as it as it did, as it did today, um, despite having um, Pierre in there, and um, you know we can cause their back four some trouble because that's been remodelled as well. Doherty is now playing right back in a flat four, which he didn't do at Wolves. He played as a wing back. You've got Eric Dyer moving back into the back four where he hasn't played for a number of years. So there's definitely going to be opportunities uh, going forward to uh, to give them problems. Yeah, and as we mentioned, a whole week for Ralph to work with his full squad, so fingers crossed that'll uh, work as well. So, right, let's do some predictions. Obviously, in true style, um, no one got it right this week, so that's a good start to the season. It's an optimistic sign for uh, what we got to come, isn't it? But, uh, Steve, let's start with you. What do you reckon for Spurs versus Saints? Um, I think we'll get point. We'll get a point on the board, but it'll only be one. Um, so I'm going to go for a two-all. 
to all. Excellent. All right, uh, I'm going to jump in there because I've gone for a draw as well. So uh, I did have nil two Spurs after our uh, performance yesterday, but having watched Spurs today, I feel like we can get something from it. So I've gone for a one all draw again. Um, Glenn, what do you reckon? I'm going to go for a one nil home win. Yeah, one nil home win. Very positive. Excellent. Dan, I know you'll be looking forward to getting back to St Mary's, Dan. So uh, how do you see it going? Uh, I. In two one Spurs. Oh damn, that's that's, that's <laughs> the most negative thing I've ever heard you say on here. I think. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings, and you're listening to Total Saints podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's TSP. Hope you've enjoyed it despite the result at Palace. Big thanks also to Steve, Glenn, Dan and of course Ralph Halsenhutel. Next week I'm hoping we'll be heading to South America as part of our new feature on the pod, so look out for that. In the meantime, enjoy the Brentford game. Fingers crossed for Spurs. We'll catch you next weekend. Keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.